Hoody hoo. Hello there, guys. Welcome to episode 55. We are just rolling through. Uh, no stoppages here. Uh, consistency is all I'm about. We're just, I'm just persistent. I just, I'm going to wear you down. You're going to love me at some point. Um, yeah, so I don't want to talk too long because it wasn't that long. But still, uh, just a great interview. Um, it inspired me. And so uh, this is... This was a good one. This was with my friend Barbie. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, guys. Again, I, th- I thank you all the time, but I have to be let you know that I'm very uh, graciated and just what you guys, you know, just your support and the fact that you care about my dumb little voice because uh, I could barely hear it. Ugh. <laughs> so um, I'm just happy that anyone wants to hear me and uh, hear the people I am interviewing because I keep finding these amazing people lifting over some rocks and they're there. So, uh, yep. So like I said, welcome Barbie and, uh, yeah. Welcome Barbie. <laughs> See you guys. Alrighty guys. We are back with another one here. Um, I keep, you know, searching, like I say the globe because I've found so many people from all over the world, but I keep finding, uh, new people everywhere I go and, um, there's people with a lot of just, you know, amazing stories. And of course there's always some tragedy in the middle, but, uh, I found this woman, I read her story and I instantly messaged her and she got back to me. And, uh, so you can say hello and say your name. Hi, I'm Barbie Engel and I am a chronic pain patient as well as an advocate and author and, um, you know, I work with patients that have disabilities and uh, all different types of conditions and diseases, and we're all affected in different ways. But somehow we all find a way to, to overcome our challenges. And so I'm out sharing my story and sharing the story of other people I've run and crossed along the way. Yeah, amazing. Um, so obviously you had a dream that you wanted to achieve, um, but... I guess we can start with before you actually made that dream happen. What were you like as a child? And uh, obviously, what was your dream? Well, my dream, since I can remember, was to be a cheerleader. (laughs) And, um, of course, my my father was the realist in that situation. I was like, you can't do that the rest of your life. I was like, but God wants me to. Um, (laughs) so, So I grew up as a cheerleader, but I also did other sports, gymnastics and tap and dance and um, uh, track team. And I was also a Girl Scout. I went from brownies all the way through cadets, which is equivalent if you're into Boy Scouts, it's equivalent to being an Eagle Scout. Right, right. And um, I was very active in, in um, student government and uh, bringing acts and, and things to, to our uh, school to, to have a diverse um, or inclusive uh, type of situation and and I come from a family that is um, multi-ethnic and um, and so that was in, something important in our family so I, I guess that was part of my um, purpose in life <laughs> it was to was to share inclusivity and say hey we we're all on the same team we might not all fit with the same next to the same puzzle piece but we all belong to the puzzle and we need each other to make it the big picture so it's kind of like the base that I grew up with. Um, I was pretty healthy, and um, I did have hypoglycemia, which is opposite of diabetes. So I had to eat a lot of sugar <laughs> um, growing to keep up my energy. But um, I, I did cheerleading all the way through high school into college. Um, I started coaching other teams when I was in college. And uh, then when I graduated college, I uh, started my own cheer and dance training company. And then I got the head coaching position at a division one, a school, Washington state university, and uh, got my team into the top five. And then I got sick. <laughs> wow. And that's a good school. Yeah. too. Yeah. It's a very good school. And now they have a very good cheerleading and dance program there. And I was the first coach um, that they had ever hired. And I, I like to say I set the foundation. So the program is where it is today because I was able to set that foundation and, I got to coach at two Rose Bowls and a Sun Bowl, and very proud of that. Although I could not do that physically today, it's something no one could ever take away from me. Right. Do you, do you feel like, uh, you know, you were talking about being, you know, inclusiveness, and 
you know, being multiracial and so on. Like, do you, do you feel like that helped you because you were all about inclusion? Do you feel like that helped you to what you do now? I think it absolutely helped me because I'm more willing to be open and not just judge somebody by how they look, but more based on how they act. And I'm open to, hey, just because that issue isn't affecting me, it might be affecting somebody else. It, it gave me that ability to stop and, and see what was in front of me, even though I wasn't going through it. So it, it gave me the ability to have some empathy in a situation that I had no connection to. Right now, because I, you know, there's always a stigma attached to cheerleaders and athletes of just yes. kind of being shallow <laughs> because you're, you're pretty people. And, and again, and some of it is very fair, but there are some people that are generally just nice people. They just, they're pretty. Um, yes. And I think yeah. even, even like in high school, I noticed that the most was one of the things I noticed the most is a lot of the cheerleaders that were on the team with me were a lot different than I was um, with personality and, and attitude and who they hung out with. And, and they, a lot of them would tend to go towards the popular pretty crowd. And I had a very diverse group of friends and that was important to me was to reach out and, Hey, that person's quiet in the corner. I could have a voice for them. And so um, I definitely know that there could be um, a negative connotation with cheerleader, but for me, it taught me life and responsibility and time management and how to keep going. Even when you're facing the worst, you know, the game is, is zero to 50 and your team's losing. And how do you get to the end of the game? Which for me now with, with my disabilities, life is my game. And what I do is, is get through life. And so I use those skills from cheerleading, from the good parts of cheerleading to, uh, cheer people on instead of physically now I do it mentally right yeah because what I was getting at like I, I you know like I said there's that stigma and it's like I was wondering like how you perceive people with disabilities before you actually had one because I'm sure it was well, much easier to accept I mean obviously it's hard regardless but it, it's got to be easier to accept if you're actually nice to them and you're friends with them and um yes yeah. and and I would I would be friends with with the people in wheelchairs with cerebral palsy and say hey you know, hey, football coach, uh, Chris needs a chance to be out on the field. And, you know, even if he can't be on the field during the football game, he could be down on the sidelines doing something and helping, you know, co coach or be a manager for the team or uh, boost morale or whatever it was. You know, you, you could get involved in some way. And I had friends that were blind uh, all the way from elementary school. We, we were together all the way through college, actually. And... Um, two twin uh, boys that, that I grew up with. And, um, it, you know, it just having people in my life that were different and had disabilities had me open to it. But I can say that I personally was taking life for granted because I didn't have that disability. Until it happened to me, I didn't fully understand it. Right. I yeah. was inclusive and I tried to look for ways to get other people involved and it, it would be outside the box. But I didn't necessarily take all the opportunities in life that I could have or should have because I had those abilities. Right. I think the only, the closest you can get to not without having it is maybe like a parent, the one who takes care of someone with cerebral palsy or special needs. But even they don't yes. know everything. Like they don't know the pain. They don't know. They just know you know, some of the mental stuff and stuff like that, but that's the closest yeah. you could probably get. But just even being a friend and on the outside, like, yeah, it's hard to, you know, understand. Yeah. But well, I can tell you, yeah. even with coaching, like when I look back at my coaches, I kind of took on their mentality. So although I would want people to get involved and in, in be included, I would take on the mentality. Like if, if I sprained my ankle, my coach would be like, tape it up and get back out there. We need you. Right. And, and, you know, find a way to do it. And after I became disabled, I stopped to say, wait a second, all those years, I was like telling the people that I ended up coaching throughout the years, hundreds of people, you know, suck it up, get back out there, we need you, when they might have needed the time to go heal fully so that they don't have a, a issue later in life. So I, if I had the ability to go back, that's what I would do different is, is I would in the moment have done, done something different. 
right. and not have put the pressure on them to get back out on the field. But um, even even when somebody was out due to an injury or or condition of some sort, I did say, you know, still come to practices, be involved. Okay. Sorry, my cat yeah. stepped on the board. <laughs> oh, fun. <laughs> yeah, it has little sound things to it. He decided to try to step on it. And so sorry about that. No, no problem. <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. So I, so I, I would try to, to keep them involved so that they wouldn't just get injured and leave the team because my coaches did that to me. I had an injury in college and coaches were like, Oh, sorry, you can't go out and cheer because you have a wrist injury when they could have been out there. You know, you can put on a knee brace, you could put on a wrist brace, you, you could still be out there. And so I did say, you know, let's find another way for you to be on the field. But now I wonder, maybe I should have given them more time so they don't get arthritis in the future or things like that. Right. But I mean, especially with people with like disabilities, like it, it, like there's always two ways of going. A lot of people either downplay what we have or, you know, they do the babying thing. But in a way, yeah. like the fact that you obviously were a caring person and you were kind of giving a voice to people who didn't have any, you were also like, you know, so, you know, you just go out there, you were treating them like you would treat any person. You just go out there and, 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 and in a way, you, gotta, you go person by person. You never know how people take something. But in general, I think a lot more people, at least on our side, would ex accept the fact that like, okay, she's just treating us like another person and she expects the same yep. thing, you know, but, you know, so I think. I do, I, but I, I also believe that there's a million ways. And this is something that after I became disabled that I realized um, there, this was a, this there's a million ways to accomplish something. And so in doing that or in realizing that it gave even more opportunities for people. It, it helped me drop my walls and barriers of this is the way it's done to say, Hey, if that's the way it takes for you to get this accomplished, go for it. It's not going to be the same way that I need to do it to accomplish the same thing. Right. Exactly. So, so I became more understanding of, of, everybody has different needs and everybody should be treated individually with what they bring to the table and, and how they get there is, is uh, doesn't matter as much as what they accomplish or what they go forth and do. Right. Um, in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So take us through, you know, obviously your day one or what you can remember for when you first got sick, but also, and, and how old were you when this all happened? Oh my goodness. I got sick at um, first at 26, I got endometriosis which um, wasn't so bad, but I mean, it was a lot of pain and I also had a lot of bleeding with it, but um, can you explain what that, that is? Was a, endometriosis is when your uterus, it's only in women and it's when your uterus grows in patches outside of your uterus. And so it starts attaching to your inside organs and the wall of your stomach or the wall of your um, abdomen and um, so like normally a woman has a period once a month and I, all these different parts of me were bleeding throughout the month. And the more it spread, the more it attached to, the more complications it caused. Wow. So, um, and so I ended up going through, you know, multiple uh, laparoscopic surgeries through my belly button to, to help clean it up and, and fix it. Um, but that obviously it ultimately didn't work. And, um, the, the final result was a hysterectomy, a full hysterectomy. So I was un unable to have children and, um, I had that hysterectomy at 26 years old. So, um, but I felt like, Oh, I conquered the world. I could do anything. I beat endometriosis. And that was, and again, another person might look at that and go, well, you couldn't have kids now. So did you really beat it? Right. For me, it was an accomplishment. And I, and I took it in, in a positive direction. You weren't like, did you have any like psychological uh, worries as far? I mean, again, you're a woman, you're a pretty girl, you're, you're doing something, you know, again, maybe you weren't as shallow as the average cheerleader, but you're still a girl and looks still matter. And obviously your body is doing something weird. Um, yeah. did, did you have any, you know, depression or anything towards that? Um, I did in some areas, but I also um, have a degree in psychology. And so I kind of talked and worked myself through it. I cheered myself through it <laughs> um, in a way. Oh, but um, 
it, it wasn't, it was chronic pain every day, but it wasn't debilitating. I still could cheer. I still could coach. I still was living life, even though I had this, this bleeding problem going on in the pain problem going on. Right, okay. um, it, it still wasn't enough to stop me. Then when I uh, was 29, I um, had a minor car accident, something like a cheer. I, I would have thought a cheerleading accident would have hurt worse, you know, but um, the car that hit me was going between 10 and 20 miles an hour. And um, in that eight seconds changed my life. And this was a whole new pain, a different pain, nothing I ever experienced in my, in my life. And this time it did cause psychological damage. It, it did make me, I lost everything physically, emotionally, mentally. Um, I went from being on top of the world, living my dream to being um, disabled and losing my house, losing my marriage of 10 years, um, food stamps, you know, like having nothing in, in a very short time. Was this, I'm, I'm so, sorry to cut you off. It was, was this, you said it's a car accident where I'm assuming you were in a car or were you hit by a car? Like yes. your body? I was, I was in a car and a 16 passenger van hit my car. Wow, okay. And the guy said he never stopped until he, this is what his testimony was. He didn't see me. So he just had his foot on the gas and, and hit me and then stopped. Wow. He, but I saw him coming. So I turned and tensed up and the position I put myself in was traumatic. Um, so it wasn't a lot of damage to my vehicle, but it was a lot of damage to my body. Over a million dollars in medical expenses to this point. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it's it a pretty big life-changing event. Um, but out of that, I overcame those challenges. I have a much better, a more loving, caring husband that's amazing. I was able to find love in the darkest points of my life. and. Um, and I used those skills from cheerleading to get through, but I also ended up having to go to counseling and, and getting some help and learning some tools and skills that um, helped me understand, you know, that it's not my fault what happened. And the accident actually triggered reflex sympathetic dystrophy, uh, which is a rare disease. And um, I had it, it just hadn't triggered, the accident triggered it. And um, reflex is anything in your body that's automatic, goes haywire. So that includes my heart, my intestines, my stomach. I have gastroparesis where my stomach's paralyzed. Um, it, it affects my swallowing. It affects my eyes. It's pretty much every system of my body. Sympathetic is the nervous system. It causes burning fire pain. That's constant. Uh, then it has other pains like electrical, sharp, stabbing, cutting, burning, um, and then the dystrophy is loss of muscle and bone. So I ended up, uh, while they were trying to diagnose me, it took three years to get a proper diagnosis and another four years to get uh, proper treatment. They put me into remission. Now I go in and out of remission. But during that time, you know, I was pretty much bed bound or wheelchair bound and um, trying to get back to the old life that I had, which it, it took a toll on my mental health to realize I'll never be that physical cheerleader, but I can still be a cheerleader mentally. And, and going to counseling really helped me get that into perspective. What's it like to basically lose everything you had? I mean, you lost everything, essentially. Hard. I lost everything. <laughs> um, it was hard. And um, when I left college, I moved to Washington State with two duffel bags of stuff. So I knew that I could lose everything and be okay. But that time I was totally healthy. <laughs> this time I was disabled and had no answers for those first three years, not even a name of what was wrong with me. So in, in going through that, I knew I wouldn't have given up my life. Something was wrong. So even if a doctor thought that I only had a psychological issue going on or, you know, whatever it was, I knew that there was answers and that just wasn't the doctor for me. And I had to really count on myself to get myself through until I found my current husband and, and we took it on as a team and um, built our relationship first as friends. And then, and then we started dating and then, you know, ended up falling in love and getting married, but it really was um, 
something I felt like I was doing on my own, even in the first few years that he and I were together, I still had the ultimate responsibility with my physical well-being and my mental well-being. So I took a lot of that on myself and knowing like, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to find food, find resources and things that were available to me and, and learn how to use community resources, which I never even thought about in the past. I needed those now to survive. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a huge difference from what you were going through. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like, you know, like I said, did you, I don't know, maybe you downplayed your first problem, you know, when it came to everything that was happening to you. Do you feel like you just, I mean, in a way you could say maybe you should have been used to pain and, and, you know, dealing with a problem, but yep. did you just kind of downplay that one after like, Oh, I, I beat it. And then obviously the, yeah, I was like, I could beat everyone. it. I, I felt like I was on top of the world. I felt like, Oh, I could overcome anything. And I never imagined that there was something worse than that. So when, when my pain, you know how they give you like, is your pain one to 10? What, where are you on the pain scale? Right. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they, it's subjective. And when I had endometriosis, I would be like, I'm in an eight. And then I got RSD and I was like, I wish I had that old, if I had to have pain, I would take that old pain back. That was definitely not an eight. I have a whole new appreciation for what a 10 is. Right. Yeah. My, yeah. Mine is because at one point all my skin burned off and I, I like, yeah. so I, I get sarcastic with them cause I think it's a very stupid question because it's really subjective and it just, I don't really yeah. know, but it's like, look, if I tell you it's a seven, you might not treat it. So I have to tell you it's a 10, but since skin burning off is a 10, I guess this is a four, like, you know, like it, it's, you just kind of have to mess with them because I don't really know what to answer for a question, but yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The doctors or medical providers in general, they learn the pain scale and each number has has adjectives that go with it. And the problem is they're not teaching the rest of the world what they're learning in medical school. And so you don't know what the numbers actually mean. You know, you're just like, I'm debilitated and this is how I am right now. Um, so so my, my pain numbers have, have evolved and changed over the years and, and what I'm willing to like I'm willing to live with a level four pain, you know? Right. So once it starts over six, then, okay, we need to do something about this. Yeah, absolutely. What, what you is, know, where like, would, would somebody else might be totally debilitated by a four. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause for you, obviously a 10 would be the car crash, but right. you know, a, a headache even if it's like the worst migraine in the world, like in comparison to the car crash is probably a five. But again, if you don't say it's a nine, they're not going to even acknowledge it. They're not going to help you. A lot of times that's what happens. So you have to learn the language of our providers. (laughs) And, And that took me time. I used to go in and I would be crying and just help me, help me. You got to help me. You got to stop the burning fire pain. And, and they, well, I would just say, you got to stop the pain. And they would be like, we don't understand, like, what is even wrong with you? And then over time, I started learning the adjectives to say fire burning pain or electrical shock pain. And they then could start helping with options because I was giving them those adjectives. But it took me a couple of years to learn that, wait, they're not responding to me and they're not able to help me because I'm not giving them the adjectives that they learned in school. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. You kind of got to know how to play the game. Um, yeah. um <laughs> so what, what was it? What was like the realization like when you actually got your actual diagnosis three years later? Oh, it was like a relief. But then when you start, you go home and you start looking it up is, um, it's traumatic. <laughs> and, and I can tell you my, my stepsister, actually had the same condition and another family member has it although diagnosed after me he had it before I was before I did and um, but my stepsister passed away and after I was diagnosed and learned more about it I realized what my stepsister was going through for a good 12 years before I got diagnosed wow. and it, we didn't give her the support and, and love and, and hope that she needed right. Is it, and, is, it, is it something you can, like, pass down? 
No, my stepsister is uh, not blood related. Right, right. No, I just, I'm just asking you in general. Um, they don't believe it's genetic, although there is some uh, very few studies going on to check for genetics. It's a, it's a blood condition that um, triggers the different parts of the body to attack itself. So more similar to MS. Right, right. Yeah, my grandfather died. But of that. it's triggered. It's triggered by a trauma. Right. So mine happened accident but it could have easily been a cheerleading fall you know it, it, it could have been anything it just for me it happened to be a car accident yeah you don't realize but, how fragile the body is until something right? i know happened. i know people that stepped on a rock and it triggered the rsd to attack their body wow so yeah quite interesting condition absolutely and it's gone through like 20 name changes since it was first discovered back in the civil war but Definitely, it's been around for a long time. It's just not, it's a rare disease, so there's not much known about it, and there's not a lot of awareness, although with our foundation, we're helping change that. Right. Is it, is it ever, like, bunched in with other, like you said, like, it's kind of like MS. Is it kind of bunched in with any other conditions? Uh, fibromyalgia oh, okay. has a lot of uh, similar symptoms, but there's a blood test for fibromyalgia now. So you could know if you have these similar symptoms, you could get the fibromyalgia test and know for sure if it's fibro or RC. Um, but also a lot of MS patients. There's so many conditions. And that's why I used to uh, just help people that have RC and quickly learned that there's so many different conditions that involve the same symptoms that can be overlooked or, you know, it takes a different treatment to help get you to a place that um, can be livable uh, or give you more life. So now I work with many different conditions, over 150 conditions, because there is so much overlap in the symptoms of all these conditions Mm -hmm. and how they affect life, you know. It costs a lot to be a chronic patient. Right, and I'm I'm sure that's probably how some people get, uh, you know, the wrong diagnosis, because there's yes. similar, you know, yeah. So, uh, and doctors yeah. are taught to look for, for like, if it's a field of horses, don't look for anything. You just throw them in with the field of horses. You look like a horse, so go be a horse. And you're like, no, I'm a zebra. Right. right. I'm a zebra. Like, you know, there's something else going on here. This doesn't, it, it ticks off nine out of 10 of the things on the list, but there's something missing. Once you get the right diagnosis to whatever the condition is, then you have some options and answers, hopefully. Although there is 7,000 rare diseases, so only 5% have a treatment option. Wow, yeah. Um, so what is the functionality like in your body to this day? Uh, currently, I am pretty close to remission. I, I do need a treatment pretty soon, but um, I'm still up and walking. Although the dystonia, which is one of the symptoms, which is where your body locks up, um, is, uh, kicking in <laughs> and, um, and so I, I can't really walk far or do much physically, but when I'm in a, like a full remission right after infusion therapy, I'm doing much better. Um, and I, I just have to be careful because any additional trauma, which burning your hand or stubbing your toe, I, I, I stubbed my toe on a, um, suitcase and because my, my bones are thinning because of the RSD, I broke my foot. So you have to be careful still in life, um, but I am doing better, and I'm better able to manage the daily living activities. Right. Now, is that like the, what is it called, the reflex, uh, oh, something, pain syndrome? Uh, oh, yes, com- reflex. There's, there's a complex. Is it complex? Um, there's complex regional pain syndrome. Yeah, that that's the that's when you have it regionally. So complex regional pain syndrome. It's the same condition. It just means that you're affected regionally versus body wide. Okay. So RSD is is body wide, and um, it's also known as central pain syndrome. Right. So, like I said earlier, the name has changed over 20 times. The original word that they used was causalgia, which meant burning fire pain. But it's so much more than burning fire pain that um, that wasn't really an accurate name. But they also, you know, um, sympathetically mediated pain, sympathetically independent pain, um, uh, polyneuropathy. There's a lot of different names for it. So um, the one that's most widely used is RSD when you have full body and uh, 
uh, chronic regional pain syndrome when you have it in one extremity. Yeah, because that I interviewed two women with that, and that's why I was like, "This sounds oh, very familiar to that." And you didn't call it that, so I was like, "I don't know if it's the same or it's just similar." It's it's the exact same um, autoantigen in our bodies, but for some reason, mine attacks my whole body and my internal organs, and other people get it in their pinky in their in their pinky for twenty years, and it never spreads. Right. So for me, it went full body. Wow. That's probably the worst kind to get, right? Uh, I, I think any <laughs> any kind is the worst. Right, um, right. It's all it's all subjective, you know. It, it could debilitate you if you can't use your arm, yeah. Especially right. if it's your writing arm, right. you know. So, it, it, I think it's all subjective on how good or bad it is, whether it's full body or in one region. Absolutely. Um, so, so what made you actually just get up and actually do what you're doing now? Because obviously it, it, well, you know. growing up, growing up, my father, every Thanksgiving at Thanksgiving dinner, we would sit down for dinner and we would talk about what's a project that we could do as a family to help society. And, um, sometimes it would be going into a nursing home and visiting the residents there to make sure that they have somebody looking in on them. It could be singing Christmas carols uh, throughout the community. It could be, um, you know, doing doing different things, helping uh, deliver food at at food um, pickup stations. It's many different things that every year we came up with something. And um, the year that my stepsister passed away, and I was diagnosed the year before that. Um, the next Thanksgiving, my in 2006, my brother said, uh, "What?" could we do to not have this journey that happened to Melanie and to Barbie happen to anybody else? What can we do? And we brainstormed over dinner and came up with our, our foundation. And um, at first it was just focused on RSD and CRPS. And then um, after about the first year, we realized that there's so many other conditions that it, it, we needed to expand. So we expanded to other neuropathic conditions. And then over time, we expanded to all chronic pain conditions, including physical, mental, and spiritual pain. And, um, and then we also, our network increased and, and now we're working with uh, people all over the world. Um, whereas we first started with, with um, Virginia and Arizona for our first two states and then spread to, to across the United States and then um, started going into other countries. And now we have uh, people in Canada, Latin America, um, Australia, the UK, Israel, Uganda, uh, India. So we have people from, from Japan. We have people from all over the world. Um, and w at the beginning, we were the power of pain foundation. And because pain got us on this new course in life. And um, so that was pretty fitting. But every time we were talking about our charity, they would say, explain what power of pain means. So that took away from what services we offer. And so we, um, in 2015, we upgraded the name to match what we were doing around the world to International Pain Foundation. Oh, that's awesome. Do you, um, yeah. does it feel better to achieve this goal than your other, your other dream, your being a cheerleader? <laughs> I still believe I am a cheerleader. Oh, okay. So, so even though I physically can't do it, um, I still am a cheerleader mentally. And so for me, I'm still achieving the cheerleader goal. Um, but this is definitely reaching more people and people that need help. Not that football players and basketball players don't need help, you know, winning the game. Um, but we need the, we need help winning the game of life. And um, so this has definitely taken me up many notches to, uh, feeling like I've fulfilled my purpose or I'm on the right track to fulfill my purpose here on earth. Right. And I, I think you said you are religious. Do you feel like this is what you were meant to do? Because obviously you thought I cheerleading do. was, and, and obviously right. this happened I, to you. Right. So I always believed I'd be a cheerleader the rest of my life. And I thought that, that God put on me, this is your purpose in life is to be a cheerleader. I just didn't know that, he was going to take all those physical skills I learned and 
have me prepared so that when this happened to me that I could cheer and lead people in a in a mental health capacity and um and also with with getting the physical care they need and and um you know overcoming the challenges in life and hopefully when people see that although my life's not perfect I'm able to have hope and to get help that they are also able to have hope and get help right. so yes I that that I'm doing it on a much larger scale that I never imagined. I knew what my purpose was. I just didn't know how it was going to play out. And it definitely, I never saw it going this way. Right. And I think the other goal was more of a, I don't just say selfish because that's just your goal. That's what you wanted to be, but you're not really reaching anybody as a cheerleader. But with this, like you, I mean, yeah, you're helping people. You're making them happy in a way of like, you know, let's go team. But this, you're legitimately helping you know you said the you know the fight for life like that is the hardest challenge right. we have to overcome and our mental our inner demons and so on so yeah you know you're actually reaching so many people and you're you're making a legit difference in the world um whereas you know you're making a crowd happy or whatever but this year right you're actually doing something that's powerful absolutely i i do see that i do think cheerleaders have have more of a purpose than that and we were, and I was competitive. Um, you know, I did competitive cheerleading as well as sideline cheerleading. Mm -hmm. But I do get your point. There's, there's so many more people around the world that I'm, I'm helping connect and network with. But I also want to give a shout out to those that are sharing their story with one or two people, which is how I started. And like, I would talk to the people in the grocery store. I would talk to the person doing my hair. So I was like going one at a time talking to people, whereas now I have a lot broader network and reaching a lot of new people. And one of my goals is to reach people that wouldn't normally hear. You know, I didn't take all the things in life into consideration until it happened to me. So I hope that people hear my story. And it, even if they don't need this information or help or hope right now, that I'm planting a seed with them that can grow into a tree that's fruitful when it's time for, for them to face something challenging in life when it comes to their health or another family member is facing something that they can say, Hey, I remember listening to uh, my blurred opinion podcast a couple of years ago. And, and this one guest said, you know, these things that there is hope and there is help and, and that, you know, that don't stop, keep going for, for what you, you believe in and, and be the best you, you can be. And now I can do that or I can help my aunt or, or my cousin or my mom or dad or whoever it is in your life, because, you know, it's, one in three people are living with a chronic condition. So if you or somebody you know, hopefully the seed is planted. I'm just impressed that you remember the name of the podcast. Um, oh. <laughs> um, so, so I asked you a question earlier of what it's like to lose it all, but what is, what is it like to, I won't say get it all back, but because, you know, you have your health issues, but in general, right. like you essentially made it a better life for yourself. In, in some ways, I guess. I mean, I guess yeah. depends how you look it's, at it, but um. it's a different life, and it's just as good. Uh, it's more fulfilling. And um, how would I explain this? I would say, in life, you if you you're climbing a mountain, say there's a mountain in front of you, and you got to get to the peak. Well, there's there's um, the valleys and the peaks as you climb to the top of the mountain. So at at points where I'm having a challenging time. I have to remember that there's people on the on this mountain with me that are down in a in a um, lower peak, but they are looking up at me in the valley that I'm in and the challenge that I'm having and saying, "I wish I was up there." And there's people ahead of me that I look to for inspiration. That I say, "Hey, I wish I was up there. What do I have to do to get from here to there?" Just as those people that are still climbing the mountain after me look up and see like, Ooh, she's gotten this far. Well, you can too. You, you just have to keep going, even though there's going to be those valleys spread throughout the mountain. Right. Yeah. I think I've said this at nauseum, but you know, when we were talking off mic, just about how we don't support each other, because there's a lot of people, there are well, not a lot, but there are people who do make it in life and, and they have disabilities and, you know, they go on to be whatever musicians or whatever. And they do th mm -hmm. stuff with their lives, but then they kind of turn their back on where they came from. They just, they get some sort of fame or, or money or, or whatever, some notoriety for just kind of fitting in with the normal people, if you will. 
and they kind of yeah. closed the portal behind them. And even though they, they dreamed of getting to where they were and they made it and, and they probably deserved where they are, but they, they forgot about all the other people that were with them along the way. And it's like, that's the problem. Like if we don't like what you're doing, what I'm doing, what, what some others are doing, it's like, if we don't bring the whole community with us, we're never going to make any change. We may make a better life for ourselves, but we're not going to help or change anyone's opinions or change any, you know, horrible wrongdoing that's been done to our community. No one's going to ever take us serious if we don't actually come together. Like I said, you could, you could change your life, but if you're not trying to change the whole community and, and help and join together, then, you know, we're never getting anywhere. We're just going to continue to go backwards. Yeah. It, it really is important to, to know and realize that there's, there's people ahead of us that help pave our path to make our path easier. And it's, it's our um, purpose to also do the same thing with the people that are coming up through the same mountain of challenges that, Hey, you know what, I'm going to leave this path open and I'm going to bring you through. But I do run into patients that are like, look, it took me this long to struggle to get to, to this point. I don't want to help anybody. I believe that this is my purpose. So this is, what I do is create that path and keep it open saying, Hey, come on, let's go. You can do it too. And um, there's enough room on the mountain for everybody. We all are, are welcome. And there's enough space for everybody that needs to be here to get the help and the hope that they need. Right. So do you, I mean, again, how old are you now? Um, <laughs> or is that bad? I ask? am 48. 48. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. I'm 48. Okay. Well, yeah. I asked you what you were when you had, so you're, you're 22 years later. Yeah. Um, yep. obviously you're still far from, you know, ending your journey and all that, but do you now with all this happening, do you, do you appreciate the, the journey and, and everything that you've gone through now? Yes. And I, I learned a lot along the way that I never would have without these challenges and, and that I faced and made my way through. And, um, I do have a long way to go. My goal is to live to a hundred and, um, I have a lot of secondary conditions to RSD, like I said before, dystonia, but I also have migralepsy and I've been for the last 18 months battling valley fever, which is a condition you get in the Southwest of, of United States. And, um, so my lungs are affected and, um, I, so I still feel like I have a long way to go. But I do recognize that I've been on quite a journey and this is what life is, is about. It's about living the journey and there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be setbacks. There's going to be challenges. But as long as I keep going and remember that if today's a bad day, tomorrow will be a better day. I can get through anything and, and anybody else can as well. If I can do it, you can do it. Right. And I, I mean, I, I pretty much know the answer. Well, kind of, but what, what, I mean, you, I'm sure you are certain things in your life that are routine that are not normal for the average person, um, what, yeah. with your health. So like, what is it that gets you out of bed and, and want, cause you know, I've, I've always talked about obviously the physical stuff, it's a bitch, we hate it, but it's the <laughs> mental stuff that really breaks us and makes us not want to get out of bed. So what, what actually gets you out of bed? What makes you want to continue to do what you're doing and, and live life Without, you know, um, just I doing would, the opposite and, and just being like a statistic and just saying I'm on disability and I'm done and, you know, life's Yeah, tightens. I would say hope. Hope. Hope is, is the, the energy that gets me out of bed and ready to face another day. Well, that's a good answer. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean you yeah. need something. And again, I mean, you also found love, you know, like there's... there's and even, yeah, even the smallest spark of hope can get you through. Yeah. I think also helps you. You have a very good, I mean, it's from what I, you, what I gather, like you seem to have a very good support system around you. Um, Absolutely. I, I do have a good support system and, and, you know, I have a really close friend. I have my whole family, but there's only 14 of us left living. Um, but um, on top of that, I have my husband and he has a hundred family members um, that are living. So, we definitely have a really good support team. And then through International Pain Foundation, we have, you know, the, the family, you know, the family I was born to, but then we have the family I chose and the network I've created and helped create. And it wasn't me by myself. It was a whole team of us. And we're working as a team to be there for each other and make a difference. And um, I have great 
health advocates and, and leaders that are um, there to help me as a leader. But then we also all go out and help other people that aren't in a leadership position yet. And um, hopefully we can can teach them the tools that they need so that they can then go on and help somebody else. So with, without support and um, and the, the willingness to overcome the challenges, not, not every person, that's one of the hard parts of going through this is not every person wants to overcome the challenges. Some people choose to give up or, or um, don't have what, you know, that hope that I have. Um, to get them through. And so maybe my spark of hope can ignite theirs and, and help them in a challenging time. No, that's great. I think that's how a lot of what life is like where people like, I look at it like I have another job and, and, and at that job, a lot of people know certain things and they don't want to teach or train people properly to know those jobs because then, you know, they're replaceable or, or whatever. But it's like, if you don't give other people tools, like especially with what we do, it's like if we don't pass on and how to make, you know, to help other people, you know, like it, it's great if someone builds a statue of me and says, wow, you were the Gandhi of the disabled community. Good for you. <laughs> like that, that's, that all sounds yeah. cute. But again, as I said but, earlier, we're talking about 1.6 billion people. I can't yeah. do this alone. You can't do it alone. Like you need a team. Correct. I mean, you need your family, yeah. you need your friends, but with us, like what we're doing, we need others who care. And, yep. you know, and so and are facing similar challenges. I, I did my first hackathon this a uh, couple of months ago. So this year, and um, it, it was a, a neat experience because it, it was a team that somebody else put together. All of us on the team had different backgrounds, different skills, different talents. And we all came together and, and worked on a common challenge. And we, presented it at the end of the it was a two-day process and at the end of the two days we presented it to the other teams that were working on the same challenge and we you know there's I think 12 teams and all of us came up with a different way to do it and I, I believe all 12 ways are important there's even more than that that are important but if if my idea doesn't reach you somebody else's will so we need all of the all of the different tools and um, tips and tricks and resources so that each of us can get the individualized care that we need. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, like I said, you're, you're a very amazing person. I'm very happy that you're Thank you. alive and you're doing what you're doing. And, you know, we need more people like you because, like I said, I, it, I, I talk about mental health a lot because I know people – I've talked to a few people off the ledge, and I'm not saying that to make myself sound good. I just – you know, I've, I've mm -hmm. had to talk myself off the ledge. So, um, yep. and I know how many people didn't make it. And maybe if they would have made one or two decisions, or maybe if one person gave them a hug or whatever, they would still be here. Open the door for them. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, people like you, there's not many of us. I mean, the, I mean, you could say, well, there's a thousand of us. There's what? Yeah, but that's not a lot. It, there's not enough that's, of us. That's not know. enough. No. It's not enough. People, there's a lot, but there's not enough. Right. And and so it's like the fact that you exist, and the fact that you're still here. And again, like, I'm sure you've thought about giving up at periods of time way back when. And I know I have. And, and, and look, I'm, I'm happy I'm still fighting. And, and I, you know, I feel like I have a real responsibility for speaking up because there's a lot of people who listen to me that don't have the courage to speak up. But they listen to me and go, well, thank God someone's speaking up. And it's like, you know, maybe I can convince them at some point to do it. But the, the fact that I do it and the fact that people care enough to hear my voice, it's like, well, I have to be a good representation because if I'm not and if I do the wrong thing, it, it can look bad on a lot of us or all of us. So, yep. so, so I think about those kind of things. But I, like I said, I'm very grateful that you're around and you do what you do because, uh, like I said, we need that. And um you know, do you have any, you know, just like in closing, do you have any like, I don't know, inspirational words or just anything just for the people that are going through, you know, starting from the beginning where you are, you know, a girl or a guy who is at their dream of whatever it is, doesn't have to be cheerleading, it could be anything and life struck and took that away from them. And now they have to kind of get their life back. Just remember that there's a million ways in that you might not get the same life back. I didn't get the same life back, but I got a life with purpose and, and that anybody out there that's listening to this right now know that it's in you to do the same thing that 
what you want to do can be accomplished. You just have to work at it, take smaller steps if needed, take breaks, don't get down on yourself, if it, don't feel guilt for having to take longer to accomplish something. If your goal is to finish college or your goal is to become a plumber, whatever your goal is, you can accomplish it. Just break it into smaller pieces until you do and don't accept the guilt that you're not there yet because it takes us time and you're still living. Even if you're taking two steps forward and one step back, you're still going forward. Keep going. You can do it. Absolutely. Well, Barbie, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate this. Thank you, TJ. I hope you uh, keep in touch. Um, oh, I, I think we're connected now on social medias and stuff. So yeah, definitely stay I, in touch. I, I, like I said, I, I try to stay friends with everybody. I interview the ones that weren't my friends in the beginning and, like I said, I think we need to support each other and stay close. And, um, you know, like I, I, I think people just think I'm just reaching out to get interviews. But if I like you and the fact that you have a story and, you know, we've both been through something, it's like, why not? Like, I don't, I'm not doing this for views. I mean, it's nice when the numbers go up. I mean, I am, I do kind of get addicted to that crap. But in, <laughs> in general, it's like I, I care more about the person. So it's like I just, you know, like I said, please keep in touch and I will let you know when it comes out. And like I said, thank you again. Absolutely. I, it's my pleasure. And I'm so excited that you chose me to share with your audience. And hopefully we're planting seeds and, and keeping those trees growing so that people down the line that need help have the help that they need also. Absolutely. So I will talk to you later. All right. Thank you, TJ. Thank Take you. care. You too. Bye. All right, guys, that was another good one. Um, I don't know. I've kind of been, I won't say I'm down on the podcast because I've gotten a lot of good interviews since. It's just, there's certain things that kind of make you want to, like that get you inspired and, and make you feel good about what you're doing. And this was, this was one of them. So <clears throat> I needed this interview um, probably more than her, just mentally anyway. Um, I, I can't speak for her, but she, she's fantastic. I'm, you know, very good representation of our community. So uh, again, guys, uh, I will say, you probably hear the fountain in the background. I could have turned it off, but Bullet was using it. It's like 71 degrees out, so I'm leaving it on for him, so apologies. Um, if you hear, like, certain sounds going in and out, like like the, the water fountain, it's because I mute my mic, and then when I go to talk, I unmute it, so then you hear it. So just in case, if you were wondering, uh, most of you probably didn't even pay attention. So, uh, um, But, the, again, thanks, guys. Again, love you guys. Appreciate the support. And uh, I'll see you on the episode, or the episode. I'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys.